Across New England, commercial businesses of all sizes rely on Eastern Bank. We help clients grow by being able to answer their larger loan needs and by offering innovative solutions, smart decision-making, and one-on-one relationships. From franchise financing to community development and asset-based lending, our knowledgeable and experienced commercial team deeply understands your business and the communities you serve. See how we can help you meet your business goals at easternbank.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. Welcome to Say More from Boston Globe Opinion. I'm Shirley Leung. That Slack notification sound, you know the one. I swear, I hear it in my sleep sometimes. It's a sound that has become synonymous with work, whether we're in the office or working from, well, anywhere. The office messaging program Slack has become an indelible tool in the modern workplace, and the company's rise feels intertwined with the seismic changes in the way we work. My guest today is Slack's CEO, Lidiani Jones. She's here to talk about how technology is reshaping the workplace and what that means for the future of work. Welcome, Lidiani. Thank you, Shirley. It's wonderful to be here. So I have already used Slack about 100 times today. What about you? I probably beat you there, um, but <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that you've been using Slack. Yeah, and I'll tell you more about my journey to Slack later. But uh, well, actually, we could start off talking about this. In September, Slack went through a redesign, and I think workplaces across America panicked. I mean, it wasn't quite as jolting as New Coke, but why did you mess with my Slack? <laughs> We have been hearing so many um, great feedback from our customers, and we are um, embracing all, all, all of the feedback. So you did more than just change the background colors, right? Yeah, a whole new information <laughs> architecture. Yeah, tell me a little bit. About, well, I'm a very basic user. You know, I, I use it to collaborate, communicate with a lot of different people at the globe. So for me, I'm such a basic user. I'm just like, oh, I know the colors change, but I'm not I'm not quite sure what else did. But what what would be like the biggest change that users saw with the new redesign? So what we have done is a completely new navigation that will allow our customers to see all the things they already love about Slack, but we want users to be able to quickly get to all of the messages that are directed to them. We want them to get quickly, be able to get to the things that require their attention. So we've added an activity, a view that everything that you've been mentioned, reactions, all of that will give you a very easy to access point of information. But another big change to our interface has been that you can get to all of the application capabilities in Slack with a plus button. That has been a very like transformative way of working too, because now people can engage with their users in a whole lot of different ways. Um, so I hope you try those, Shirley. Let me know how you oh. how you like it. <laughs> all right, baby steps. <laughs> baby steps. <laughs> so, and I, I understand more changes are underway at Slack with advanced features thanks to generative AI. So tell me a little bit about that. Why do I need AI in Slack? Well, one of the biggest things is that our mission has always been to help our customers' lives be easier, more pleasant, and more productive. So what we are looking at with all of this incredible AI innovation that's happening in the market is how do we advance this idea that we can unlock more productivity for you and let AI do the things that are more mundane 
And so what we have done with some of the capabilities that we're announcing for Slack AI is help you catch up on all of your channels. So we are introducing channel summaries. So imagine you're gone for a few days, you enter a channel and you say, please catch me up. There's too many things oh, that I've that's, missed. That's useful. That's a big deal. That's a <laughs> yeah. big deal. The other big transformation with AI is that we are boosting the power of our search capabilities. So imagine you have a very specific question that isn't just about finding what you already can find today, content and people. Uh, if you're just trying to get a very targeted question, like what is uh, the plan for this particular product launch we have? The generative search capabilities that we're adding will synthesize all the knowledge from your documents, from your channels, from conversations that you've had, from teams, uh, open channels across your organization, and answer that very targeted question. So you can get like, hey, surely this product launch is going to be on this date. This is what you need to know. This is the project leader. And here are all the channels that matter for you to get all this information. So I'm really excited about the power of search being boosted by generative AI because you just have all of your organizational knowledge in your fingertips. So you're from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Tell me a little bit more about your childhood in Brazil. I mean, I don't think I've met other tech CEOs from Brazil. <laughs> you know, there's more and more of us, but not enough of us yet. You know, so I, I hope to see a continued growth of Hispanic and Latino leaders in technology. Uh, but I grew up, yeah, I grew up in Sao Paulo. So if you're from Brazil, you know, Sao Paulo has these different zones. And I grew up on the East Zone. That is the poorest neighborhood in Sao Paulo. And so I uh, got into a high school outreach program that gave me an opportunity to, you know, work and learn a little bit about different professions. And uh, I found my, my way uh, into applying for scholarships here in the U.S. And I got an opportunity to go study in Michigan with a scholarship had to learn English really quickly, surely, uh, in high school because I didn't speak English. I didn't have a lot of money, but I um, made it. And it certainly felt like winning the lottery as a little kid that uh, had never left the country before. So what was your first experience in technology and coding? I mean, you, you came up the computer side, not the marketing side, right? Yeah, I have been a technologist <laughs> So I graduated from the University of Michigan with a degree in computer science. I started my career as a software engineer, and most of my journey has been being a product leader. But my first time using a, you know, technology was really at a young age in Brazil. I got a little computer class when I was about 12 or 13, and it was you know, one of these weekend classes I could do on my own. My uh, parents helped me build a little computer out of different little pieces and parts. So I was just really fascinated. I've always loved math. I was really fascinated with what you could apply, you know, now in this context of software development. So that curiosity is really what fueled my passion for computers from an early age. Explain this computer. You built a computer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, to be honest, it was out of necessity, surely. Um, my family doesn't didn't come from a lot. So we didn't have a lot of means and I wanted to be able to write basic software, you know, remember the language basic from back in the day, uh, that's yes, what I yes. was learning how to code in basic, but I couldn't practice. So my dad helped me buy pieces and parts from different places to 
build a computer. And it was because it just didn't have a lot of resources. You know, it worked and I used it as my my computer to test a lot of what I was learning. The tech industry is, you know, brash, it's white and male dominated. You know, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about how you found the right spaces and companies where you as a Latina can thrive. I applied for a lot of uh, internships. I applied for a lot of jobs. I leaned on every opportunity that I could. You know, it was because I was here on a scholarship. I really needed to make it count. So I didn't let anything pass. For me, it's always about, can I have a big impact on the, you know, the work that I'm going to do? Can I do something unique here that will shape a product or a team? And uh, am I going to learn from that? And so over the years, I really kind of used that compass to decide how can I go after an opportunity because I'm going to learn a lot and because I can really bring a lot of value to it. I don't get very slowed down by the fact that I look different. (laughs) And if uh, someone is uncomfortable with that, then it's not my problem. Uh, So it hasn't been a deterrent for me, to be very honest with you. I mean, I I think I've heard you tell this story before of when you were working at Sonos and how you got a job there when you were seven months pregnant. That's right. (laughs) And and I love that. Can you tell that story about what you learned about getting that job there? It gave me a new picture of, I guess, the tech industry that, that, that you can find your place there, you know, and you could find places that support you and see you. I was very excited to work at Sonos. But the process went a little long for various reasons, my own and the company, like it wasn't any ill intent. It was just, it took a few months, which is not uncommon. And by the time I got an offer, I was close to seven months pregnant and I had to tell them. And I felt like I had to tell them and let them decide what was the right thing to do. And so I I called them and I said, look, I just got to disclose that I am seven months pregnant. And if you know, it's a smaller company. If, if you can't afford to give me a leadership role, I will understand. And there's no hard feelings, but I want to be clear, you know, about that. And they were just incredibly, you know, the speaks volumes for Sonos's leadership. They're incredibly thoughtful. And they're like, absolutely not. We're very excited about you for the long haul. And then I complicated things a little bit more, surely. <laughs> I said, and by the way, I expect five months of parental leave after I join. And I don't want to compromise on that. And they were like, well, our policies weren't that. And then I was like, well, that's what I need to come. And it's okay again. Okay. If you don't want to do it. So what happened was that it triggered their leadership to really think about the policy. They took some time and got back to me and said, no, you can come and we will respect you five months and we will go farther. We're going to change the policies for all women at Sonos. Wow. (laughs) And it went farther than that. They were so energized by that, that they added more benefits. They added more mother and parents rooms. It really shaped, you know, the the employee base. Um, So I felt really honored to be part of shaping that. And you hadn't even started yet, right? (laughs) And I hadn't (laughs) hadn't even started. Um, But it it was so amazing that once I started, everybody had heard of me. (laughs) I got so many people that got to say hi and said, oh, my God, this means so much to me. I'm also expecting. So it was just a great way to start at a company. And so I came, worked for about six weeks and disappeared for five months and then came back and had a just phenomenal time at Sonos. 
I think that um, when you're betting on someone or a leader or an employee, these things do tend to be a long haul decision. And so I ended up staying there for four years and had an incredible impact, uh, not only to the company, but they had a huge impact on me. More of my conversation with Lidiani Jones after this short break. At Eastern Bank, we believe that growing business should also grow the community. That's why we work to give all business owners what they need to take their dreams to the next level. Our dedication to small businesses and communities has inspired us to create the Equity Alliance for Business program and become the number one SBA lender in Massachusetts for 15 years running. We're proud to be here for all businesses, big and small. See the good we can do for you by visiting easternbank.com business. This is what it sounds like. Member FDIC. In late 2007, the remains of a young woman from the Casca Nation were discovered in the Yukon woods. I always think about, I want to know what really happened. So I travel north to try to understand what happened and who was involved. It's a pretty big risk to come forward with the information that I have. I'm David Ridgen, and this is Someone Knows Something, Season 8, The Angel Carlick Case. Available now. I want to go back to University of Michigan. You came to this country, applied for a gazillion internship opportunities. I think you, did you end up at Apple one summer? Yeah. And and you had a chance to meet then Apple CEO Steve Jobs. Is that right? Yeah. Tell me about that story. Yeah, that was, um, you know, persistence again. Uh, I didn't have money to go to Apple Um and I applied for internships, but so was everybody else in the campus applying for internships. And I got a scholarship to go attend WWDC. It's a worldwide uh, developer conference that Apple has every year. It happens in, I think, May or June, and it's been going on for many, many, many years. And so I wanted to go to that developer conference because maybe I would be able to interview there. Maybe I would get an internship. And so I got a sponsorship from Apple. They gave a number of student passes every year. I got one. I was really happy and it made my way to the conference. And I tried to meet every single Apple person that I could. And I got an interview while I was there and got a job. And I was so happy. So I ended up flying back to Apple for the summer. And it was just an incredible summer. It was still a very small campus, only about five buildings. And so we would all see uh, Steve Jobs at the cafeteria every day. So what Apple era was this? Was the iPhone already invented? Uh, it was post iPod, probably. Yeah. The iPod was around. <laughs> it was uh, post iPod, I think, generation two. That was year 2000 or 2001. So no, no iPhone yet. No iPhone yet. And Steve Jobs did a talk to the interns. There was only about 100 of us or less somewhere in that neighborhood he did a talk to interns and, you know, he told the story of how when Apple launched a new experience and a new product, there was people camped outside protesting uh, the experience. And he told employees, he said, let's get them coffee and donuts and I want to go meet them. And he said, you know why I wanted to meet them is that the most critic, uh, you know, customers are the ones that care about you the most. And we take that to heart here at Slack. Every bit of 
concern or questions, we embrace and we appreciate. If you're taking the time to share something that you were worried about, it means you care. There's, you know, little bits that I learned from Steve Jobs. And I feel so fortunate to have, you know, learned from Steve Jobs, even at, you know, small scale has shaped a bit of how we work today. So where are my coffee and donuts? I'm going to get my line. We have to make this next time in person, Shirley. (laughs) So I can bring you coffee and donuts. (laughs) So I have a, a confession here. So before COVID, I didn't use Slack. Certainly the Globe had an account and I knew, you know, saw my name, but I never used it. I mean, I actively avoided it. It was for the young people, not for me, you know, and of course, that all changed during the pandemic. And now I'm on it all the time. I mean, we all are. And even though even even after returning to the office, right, I'm in the office a few days a week, I, I still use it a lot more than email, really, to communicate with my colleagues at work. What does that signal to you about how work has changed? Yeah, you're highlighting, you know, really important inflection that started during the pandemic that we, the pandemic forced us to go work physically in different places. We all had to figure out where to work and look at companies and technologies like Slack. And, you know, we certainly saw a huge inflection of usage across our product that empowered us to collaborate digitally in a different way. You know, surely we ended up adding a lot of capabilities that helped people express more of their you know, human selves at Slack uh, during the pandemic, because we felt like there was that missing connection of the in-person work that, you know, we used to have. So we launched clips, we launched huddles, which was really about this like impromptu collaboration that felt more connected. And what we're seeing now is that we're seeing a different inflection is that to your point, nobody's kind of going back to a pre-pandemic way of working. There is more of us uh, trying to connect in a hybrid way than ever before. And so our focus certainly now is how do we embrace a different way of working? So it's not about where, a lot more the how. And now that I'm on Slack, and, and actually I feel almost addicted to it, I have my Slack app on my phone. Uh, so, you know, it's ser- it's a serious relationship, right? If, if the it's app amazing. is on my phone. <laughs> I love But that. I do wonder what it's doing to our brains. I mean, all these alerts and notifications coming at us from all angles, all hours. I mean, do you ever think about that? It's too much? <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, you know, I certainly believe, uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier. I believe that people can be the best selves also, if they're able to balance themselves, their lives appropriately. And so we've been very intentional. You know, a lot of the uh, redesign of our experience, of our new Slack experience is to help you focus. And so that you can look at particular channels or conversations when you're ready. So even features that we launched earlier this year called Later, you can tag conversations for later, which gives also a mental um mental structure of how you're going to do your work. So you know it's saved, you know you're going to go back to it, but it doesn't give you this urgency that you have to respond to everything. We've added also capabilities to help you snooze notifications so that you can really disconnect when you need to disconnect. Or if you're away uh, because you're homesick or because you're on a trip, that you can be really clear. So we've put a lot of intentionality on our design to help people really communicate 
these boundaries that you want to communicate. Uh, but it takes some discipline, surely, you know. So one of the things that we've been thinking a lot about is how can you nudge you as a user to use some of these capabilities to create the, the breaks that you need? Uh, but it is something that we really spend a lot of energy thinking about. I think your AI should monitor you know, usage or, or I don't know, maybe my AI bot will tell me you're on Slack too much or something <laughs> will well, help me with my balance. <laughs> I think you're touching on a really exciting area. You know, I talked about some of the AI features we're adding now, like search and channel summaries and thread summaries, but the next generation will be a more proactive set of AI capabilities that kind of summarizes your day for you. Like here's all the things you really need to pay attention or, and it helps you recap these are the things that you haven't quite touched on yet that you might need to. I think it has a lot of potential to help guide how we use our days and, you know, hopefully free up more of our time to do the things that we want to do. So there's been a lot of debate about whether Slack empowers employees by giving them ways to communicate directly with each other, you know, with or without their bosses. And sometimes that can cause some tension you know, with, you know, managers and, and, and create some conflicts because, you know, the rank and file employees are on one platform and, and plotting, I guess, and, and managers are wondering what they're up to. And so when you design Slack and the next versions, I mean, do you take into account these cultural questions about, I guess, you know, employees and managers and how they should interact? Uh, yeah, I mean, I hear that quite a bit, uh, Shirley. What's the best way to engage with employees in Slack? Slack is such a flexible platform that it can, you know, highlight portions of the culture that is not, you know, necessarily the best portions of your culture, but sometimes amazing. So how do you use Slack in a way that is going to bring the best of your culture to life? So some of our guidance has been how to embrace for a lot of leaders and a lot of companies is how to embrace transparency but also help create a set of norms in your organization on what's appropriate for people to uh, communicate or not communicate in, in Slack. It's no different than when you're in a physical space, right? You got to remind people like you're in a work environment. So remember that you don't talk to your peer with certain language. The biggest advice that I have for companies is be thoughtful about the norms, the expectations, and your own expectation for yourselves in how you're going to drive, you know, transparency on decisions and, you know, and, and direction and priorities, all of these things help set the right tone for an organization uh, overall. So right now, there's a big push for some at some companies to get employees to return to the office four to five days a week. Do you think we will all eventually go back to the office full time? And we've done so much research on this from, um, you know, future of work. We really care a lot about how employees and employers think about this dynamic of hybrid work. What we have found, Shirley, is that the most effective policies are the ones that are focused on purpose and intentionality of when you're in person, what that in-person time is for. There are certain particular tasks that are much better and more fulfilling for people if they're done in person. And so what, you know, for our team here at Slack, onboarding experiences, you know, what we found during the pandemic is if you're a new employee and you don't see any humans, it's really tough. 
And so our onboarding experience is in person. The manager spends a week or a couple of weeks with the employees and introduces um, he or her to colleagues and their intentional training, you know, so that you really feel welcome. You feel part of the team. We've shaped some of our planning where we want people whiteboarding and building upon each other's ideas to be in person. But there's a lot of tasks that we have found are more effective when people work wherever they want to work. Like our developers are so productive at home because they need focused time. So I don't think um, a world of just putting people back in physical spaces is necessarily the most productive. I think focusing on the jobs to be done that highlight the connection of people when it makes sense, where people really want to have connections with their colleagues and their work and learn from one another, that is the most effective. And that's what we're really focused on. Well, Lidiani, thank you for being on Say More. Now when I'm using Slack, I will think of you. I will think of you as well. I will make sure to bring you donuts next time. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Shirley. It's been such a pleasure. Say More is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Anna Kusmer, with help from Scott Hellman, Jesse Remedios, Alexis Sargent, and Abby Canino. Our editor is Jim Dow. Our engineer is Ariana Martinez. Maggie Taylor is our marketing coordinator. Our music is from APN Music. If you like the show, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find us online at globe.com slash opinion. I'm Shirley Liang. Thanks for listening.